Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Used Gamers Podcast. This is episode 9, and this is Chris. I will be playing the host for tonight's episode. With me, as always, is Jared. Hey, guys. And Mike. Howdy. What's going on, guys? Uh, we got a bunch of different stuff we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about uh, some news on the new Xbox front. A uh, little discussion about some uh, surprising downloadable content that just came out for Borderlands 2. Uh, Mike's going to tell us a little bit about some stuff that's been going on in the SWOTOR universe. Um, I've got a review of Guacamelee, which I downloaded from the PlayStation mm-hmm. Network. And then Jared and I are going to have a very, very spoilerific discussion of Bioshock Infinite. Uh, this information is going to be at the end of the episode. So if you have any interest at all in playing through Bioshock, any of the Bioshock games, really, um, definitely Bioshock Infinite, or even if you're just not done playing with it, you want to steer far, far, far clear of the end of this episode. But we'll definitely, definitely give you some information before we get to that point in the episode. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, First bit of news for the evening is the impending release of Xbox whatever you want to call it. The new Xbox, the next-gen Microsoft console. Uh, A few weeks back, Microsoft came out and said that they were going to have a big announcement involving the next generation of gaming on um, May 21st. So even more so than Sony with their PS4 announcement, I think they're being very blunt in that this is what we're going to talk about, this is what the discussion is going to be about, and I think even um, to the point of saying we will have the hardware on hand to show you. So in about a week or so, we're going to actually see this machine. So wh- what have you guys heard about this? What do we know about the new Xbox? I mean, not really a lot. They're being really kind of closed off about it. Of course, there's been the whole argument about the, the um, whether or not you're going to have to have internet connection, which I think it's pretty much been put out there that you're not. So that's something we were kind of glad about. They better but other than that, they haven't really put anything out. But it's good that they're actually... I find it funny that they're saying they're actually going to bring the console. So I was kind of thinking they better, because after all the smack that Major Nelson was talking to PlayStation, and you better have that thing out there. Yeah, um, the only sort of concrete bit of information that I've heard, because there's lots of rumors and lots of speculation and lots of pretty Photoshop mock-ups that people have made on the internet, is that um, the the console itself is going to feature an HDMI in port, um, which sort of jives with a lot of the rumors that have been going around about how this will basically act as your cable box now. So the HDMI will come out of, you know, your router directly into your box, into your TV, and everything could run through. So I guess if you look at it from that perspective, then that could be something that, you know, is quote-unquote always on, the same way your DVR would always be connected to your TV, but... The way that it was discussed before, I don't think that's at all what any of us were thinking. Always on right now in gaming means a very different thing than acting as a cable box. Yeah, sure. Well, I can only imagine if you were leaving your Xbox on, I mean, unless they change something about how it runs. Because right now, if I left my Xbox 360 on all day, every day, my electricity bill would go through the roof. Yeah, well, it'd, it'd probably, probably melt also. Yeah, it would probably melt yeah, through my uh, entertainment center. So I, I, unless they have it run in some kind of sleep mode where it can still record shows, you know, if you're streaming live television, but, I mean, that's the only thing I'm Yeah, and that PlayStation suggested they were doing a similar thing because when they talk about jumping back into games, it was because it would kind of be in a, in a low-running mode is how that allowed that. So it might be, be doing that, but... You know what I'm really interested to see, too, because this I think this was a big part of the PlayStation announcement, is what the Xbox controller is going to look like. Because yeah. I think that was a big thing for PlayStation, is the controller is very advanced. You know, besides being a little chunkier, which I know a lot of people actually like, it's to be a little <clears throat> heavier. And Mike, I know you like that a lot. Um, it had some cool features. So I'll be interested to see if, if Xbox can step up to to match some of those things. Well, I think they got to well. put a touchscreen somewhere, because nowadays everything's yeah. got to have a touchscreen. So you know they'll slap it on wherever they can, just <laughs> for the sake of having one. Yeah, and they seem to have added a bunch of stuff recently, more so with things like Hulu and Netflix, where they've started to integrate some of the smart glass stuff that they talked about at E3 last year. And, you know, it, it's that, that whole part of things where they, you know, something has to kind of compete with what Nintendo's doing, even though it doesn't seem like anybody's scared in any way about what Nintendo's got going on in the console space right now. It's a different market. It's a different market, so they they don't really need to respond to that, but you figure they're going to have to at least have some kind of a a response to every feature that the new PlayStation has, whether it's a similar feature or 
an explanation for why what they're doing is superior. I mean, they're in a nice position here in that they've had time to now respond to what you know the other company came out yeah. with. So, so in that light, I mean, is there is there what what's our quick wish list? Is there anything we really hope to see that we think might be realistic things that we get to see from this announcement? I mean, my big thing probably is going to be the games, the exclusives. You know, uh, Sony came out with some good ones, you know, new Infamous, new uh, Kill Zones, and, and uh, you know, a couple other new ones. So I, I want to see what, what Microsoft is going to kind of throw out there and be like, well, these are the games that we're going to have that this is why you should buy an Xbox. Because really, you can throw out all these great little things that it does, but in the end, yeah, mostly they're going to be about the same. Either they're going to have the same things or they're going to have... You know, one's going to have something, the other one's going to have something, and there'll be pluses and minuses. But in the end, I think it'll be the games that are really going to decide which people are going to buy. Yeah. And, and I think also one thing I want to look at, because we talked about one of the big advantages of PlayStation, is that they're going to offer you this big library of, of games from PlayStation and PlayStation 2. So, um, and, and Xbox doesn't have quite the pedigree. They have some. Well, what I want to see if they do at least is they offer you maybe at least backwards compatibility. So if I could play my 360 games on the new Xbox, that gives them a little in that realm to try and help, which I know the last systems didn't do that. So uh, I think that might be a smart way for them to try and compete with that. And so I'd like to see that. I think it'd be smart. Well, another nice thing is that okay. I think it has been confirmed is that the new Xbox is going to be Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, would be a nice thing to because that was one of the, the few things that PlayStation 3 really had over the 360 was oh, yeah. that it was Blu-ray because nobody wanted HD movies. Yeah, Microsoft definitely seemed to sort of back the wrong horse for a long time with some of that proprietary data storage stuff with their HD DVD player for the 360 and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, we just want we want an awesome, solid machine that's fast, has good games, and plays well and is at a human price point, which it'll be interesting to see what both of these companies came up. I just heard a rumor yesterday that um, from somebody in some industry analyst position that uh, Sony will almost definitely not be discussing release date or price point at E3 this year, which is surprising. They'll probably have hardware to show us and more game stuff to talk about. Yeah. But um, but there probably might still not be a price announcement. Which then, if Microsoft could pull that off, then that would be another little thing they got to slip in front of the other company. Yeah, but are they just waiting to see what Microsoft is right. going to charge? Then maybe like they can go, like, just undercut them by a tiny bit. It is this kind of weird arms race now, especially if we kind of, if we just set Nintendo aside, which, speaking of E3, they're not going to do a press conference this year. There's going to be no Nintendo big press conference. You know so what, are they just deciding to close the company? No, they're just going to they're just going to do smaller, focused events, and they're going to just do their own thing. They do these little Nintendo Direct events, like, over the internet or over the Nintendo channel on the Wii. Where they just talk about what's going on, and I think bottom line, there's just not a lot for them to say right now. They don't have anything for a new Zelda game. There's no new Metroid game coming. The system is selling the way that it is, so they can't, you know, boast about that. So it's probably smart, and they can say, well, we're going to do our own little fun thing, and they're going to continue to make billions of dollars hand over fist like they always do. And this is just <laughs> a chance for the big guys to kind of duke it out in this big conference. So yeah. that'll be interesting. I mean, we'll still get companies like EA and Ubisoft to do their own conferences. So I guess a way, it's a good way to avoid being compared, to because the, obviously these two consoles They're, that are coming out are going to be very high-powered consoles, which is not Nintendo doesn't really even compete with now. I think I don't they, think they cater to a totally different group, so yeah. maybe it's better for them not to go. Well, they always get bad scores. You know, like people will rate like the presentations, and Nintendo will always bombs, so... Bow out, no, no one cares. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we can just finally admit that it's a different game they're playing, then that's great. Then there's space for everybody. And we'll get my nephews back on in a future episode to yeah. talk more about that in detail. So mm-hmm. so Xbox will be exciting. We'll be bringing you what news we have from that as it occurs. No but, red um, ring of death, Xbox. <laughs> no red ring. Final request, hardware that doesn't melt itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so speaking of, you know, thinking of things that are exciting and on the future that we're very hopeful about, uh, we're going to switch gears to talk about something that um, is kind of a bit of a disappointment relating to a realm that we've had pretty much nothing but glowing, happy, wonderful, shiny things to say about so far, and that's a little bit of news about Borderlands 2. And uh, Jared and Mike are going to take the realm on the, or take the helm on this and talk about uh, what, what did we just find out about Borderlands 2, Jared? Okay, so there's a new downloadable character, and he looks really cool. The, the, the idea behind the character is the more damage you take, like, the more damage you do. So it makes you, so it's like, play really recklessly. And that, that's my pet bird in the background, by the way. 
Um, so you you can pay, play really recklessly, which is fun. I think Gunzerker is kind of that way, and I enjoy playing him for that reason. And the fun news about that... What's, what's his name again, by the way? Krieg the Psycho. That's right, Krieg the Psycho. And the fun thing about Krieg the Psycho is that he is not part of the season pass and costs $10 to get only this character. I mean, uh, and yeah, they tried to sell him. He sounds kind of interesting. He, basically, he's a psycho. He's been genetically experimented on and stuff, so he's crazy. He actually has like a dual personality, so he talks to himself. He has a conversation <laughs> with his personality. It's kind of like a Golem Smeagol thing going on. And I've heard that it's very entertaining to hear his dialogue, and it sounds like he's a lot of fun to play. He's very kind of melee-based. He's kind of like the Berserker from the first game, only he has a lot of brain stuff as well, so you don't feel like once you go into your Berserker mode, it's not like you're hindered if you're enemy keeps running away from you. Like, you can actually throw an axe, you can do lots of different so things. So he's not a pure melee character. He, he's not, but it's definitely where he shines is in the oh, melee. Okay. And cool. he's, he's, he's designed to get right up in the middle. Like, one of the, the, uh, the three trees, there's one tree where it's literally you do the most damage when you have 30% or less life. Right. So your goal is to kind of balance that line of being low, almost close to death, but yet not dying. Right. And... Yeah, it seems like it's a lot of fun, but I do kind of feel like just for a simple character, no extra levels, no extra loot or anything like that, it's it's just this character is $10. I don't know. I don't really find that to be something that at least me, myself, personally, would, would go into. There might be some people out there who are just really excited about having another character in Borderlands, but I still haven't even finished playing through, you know, all the other characters, you know. Yeah. So there's five, you know, if you got the, you know, the... the um, Necromancer? Yeah. Yeah. So that's five characters to already play through. There might be some people who've already played through all those. I don't know, but just another $10 to play for a six? I would rather just wait till there's a sale or something, maybe get it cheap. Yeah, if I think it's cheap that. one time, maybe. And, you know, the other thing for me is that the Necromancer was a disappointing character. <clears throat> so that, that discourages me, even though it was, I mean, it was free for me because I pre-ordered, but, so I didn't, it didn't really bother me that I wasn't really a fan of that character, but... Uh, that dissuades me from wanting to pick up this character because we're only going to drop money on it this time and, and potentially not like the character either. Well, that would really stink. So yeah. I'm disappointed to, for the first time probably ever on the show, say something that we didn't like yeah. about Borderlands 2. <laughs> I'm really excited for the next DLC, though. It's Tiny Tina. Like, that should be great. I'm really excited about that. And we, I still love this game. And know? I wonder, but, I uh, mean, yeah, yeah the, the timing of it's kind of weird, too, because it's like, I think that the agreement was basically that the final piece of DLC would be be made available by by June or July of this year. So that's relatively soon. And I think it's June. And yeah, so, it's in June. So this is kind of this strange little stopgap where we went from you know the last bit of DLC, which was what the hammerlock, hammerlock, and then so and they, then then we got a and they got the cap, cap increase, right? And now a new character, and that so I don't know if maybe the feeling is this stuff should have all been wrapped up into one package or. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure for some people they're just they you know, love that game so much that any new bit of content in any form will be worth it. But especially for people like you two who've invested into the season pass, you know, I feel like you've you should have already paid for this content. Like right. I don't have that, so I would say, okay, yeah. if I have to pay three or four bucks for this, that's fine. It's something I didn't. But pay even for. then, three or four bucks, not ten dollars. Yeah, that's a lot. Five dollars, maybe max. Maybe just a character, like maybe. If he, you know, came with an expansion, expansion or something sure. like that. Then, then yes, that would be different. Or some kind of new loot. You know, add some extra stuff. New in. enemy classes. Just yeah. something that fundamentally adds Even something to the game. Even just new skins for your characters, you know, or uh, just whatever. You know? Or maybe he just comes with some cool guns. It, it just something to, to rather than just the character. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see if where, where that goes, how yeah. popular it ends up being. Probably very popular, but... <laughs> and I don't even know how you track that, because so many of the other DLCs would have been tied to pre-orders of season passes, so it, it's just weird. You know, based on other conversations we've had on previous episodes, it just seems like this is not a good time for Gearbox Software to make decisions that potentially upset their fan base, yeah. because they've they've had some issues with that, which we'll be discussing in a future episode in more details, but uh, we'll stay tuned. We'll see. I'm sure at one point one of us will get our hands on this guy and see what we think, but uh, for now... Safe to say everybody's sitting this out? Oh, yeah, no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have $10 to spend on that character. Plenty of, plenty of other games to play in the world. Yeah, we I don't need to spend to... $10 on something else. And, yeah, That's I, right. I can get a whole like game in Xbox Live Arcade for $10. That's yeah. right. Well, That's to switch gears to a game that Mike hasn't had to pay any money to be enjoying, um, oh. Mike's going to talk a little bit in detail about some stuff that's been going on with 
The Old Republic, SWOTOR, which Mike has been playing pretty faithfully since it went free to play. So you've seen some changes happen and some yeah, updates happen. I've, I've really enjoyed it. They've definitely gone through a lot. Um, you know, Originally, I was a little kind of bothered by the way the free to play was done, but I've gotten, for one thing, they've added a lot of things to the free to play stuff, so it, it evened it out a little bit. Not to mention, I've found as long as you, when you play it for a while, you start to find ways to work around the system. Um, if anything, just because a lot of the stuff that you get by being a subscriber, you can usually go onto the you know the auction house, the Galactic Trade Network, that they call it, and buy it. Right. So like I've been going on and just buying all this stuff. So I have a lot of stuff that subscribers get, and I still haven't paid a cent for it out of real money. Um, so I've been really enjoying it. I finally finished my first playthrough, which was the Bounty Hunter. Um, the storyline was pretty good. I enjoyed it. There was a little part in the middle. It was kind of the second chapter of it that I I kind of lost me a little bit because it was. Pretty much the storyline was you went to a planet, found somebody, killed them, went to a planet, found somebody, killed them. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, well, you're a bounty hunter. That's so what that's you're supposed what you do. to do. So, But it just there wasn't a lot of depth through it. But it, it caught back up near the end. Um, and, you know, I've definitely, as been playing the game, I'm hearing lots of people say, you know, certain characters have better storylines than others. Uh, it definitely seems like the Empire side has a lot more of the better storyline. Um, but um, we'll just see. I'll probably try out and play some more as well. Although I'll probably try out and do some Republic maybe next just to test out the different stuff, but they recently just came out with a new update, it's all about customization, um, it added a new character, which is the Cathar, which they've been talking about forever, so that wasn't really a big surprise. Um, they also added uh, a new uh, kiosk that you can go to, where you actually change the look of your character, everything from just tattoos to hairstyles to even, you know, their whole race. They also added some new hairstyles for certain races, new skin colors for certain races, um, so, uh, or species, I guess I should say is what they call it on um, the Old Republic. But, so that was kind of nice. Uh, and they also added some new ways to dye your armor. The big problem that has really come up from all this is that all of this is you have to pay for with cartel coins. You can't pay for any of it with in-game currency. And even if you are a subscriber, you know, even if you're paying that monthly fee, you still have to pay for it. Then none of this is free to you. You know, so you're paying the same amount that, you know, all the free-to-play and everything are doing. That was real, that's really surprising. Yeah, which a lot of people are kind of a little, you know, a little miffed about. They're like, well, I give you this $15, however much, you know, a month uh, subscription. I believe it's 15 yeah. And so what am I really getting out of that? You know, I get this little, you know, monthly uh, kind of cartel allowance. But, of course, that's not even worth $15 in itself. So they're like, uh, they don't really understand why it is that even just some part of this isn't included as being a subscriber. But apparently, yeah, you have to chip in cartel points for every little thing. And they're very small little transactions. It's like literally, you know, cents. It's less than a dollar for some of most of these things. But, I mean, they start to add up, especially if you're doing it to all your characters, if you want to do it more than once. And it's just the whole point of, like, well, why am I spending this money when I already gave you the money to begin with? So, I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. Maybe it'll be a huge success, a new way for Bioware to make tons more money off of this. I don't really know, but... um. I know for me, I probably really won't be using it because, you know, I'm still adamant about not spending any money on this game, so. But uh, I, I'm sure there will be lots of people out there who will, who will spend the money just to be able to change the hairstyle on their character or whatever. And, of course, change the species is kind of interesting. You can totally clip the entire species they are, so. If you're playing through, you get halfway through, you realize you don't really like the species you picked, or you don't like the eye color, or hairstyle, tattoos, whatever. I mean, it's kind of nice they let you change that now, but eh, we'll see. Hmm. Well, as you go through, you know, this, this game, I think, sort of had an interesting life cycle in that, you know, from the way they advertised it and from the way I think a lot of us put faith in it because of the property that it was and the studio that was making it, um, especially based on their work with, you know, KOTOR, um, you know, this should have been the greatest game in the history of the world, and it didn't quite plan out that way for a lot of people. Um but then, I mean, there's a lot of people who really love this game a lot and play it a lot. I mean, what what is it about this that you think is going to keep you playing? And do you see it as something that you're going to be playing for a long time? Or do you think it's going to just get to a point where, unless something significant changes, you don't... Like, where do you think you're going to go with this, based on what you've done so far? I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I think I'll keep playing it. It's very much, when you play it, you feel like you're playing a Star Wars game. It has all the music, the sound effects, everything like that. So it's really enjoyable. It's a lot of fun the way they do it. Um, with the way it's designed, with the you know the story, the you know the voice acting, um, you know even with the companions and everything, you can really play it just as a single player game and go through and play and play. Like you really don't even have to play this as an MMO at all. You can play it completely like a single. So I, I mean, personally, really enjoy it. I think that it'll continue to do pretty well. Um, they just not too long ago put out their first expansion, the Rise of the Hut Cartel, which also um, pushed the level cap up. Um, 
So, and that's been really popular. I've, I've been seeing everybody running around with, uh, you know, max level characters now, even with the new cap. So, obviously, there's lots of people doing it. Um, so, I think they'll continue to do pretty well with it. There are still a lot of subscribers on there, so they're still making money off of that, as well as, I mean, they're making more money than they ever were when it was totally subscription line. Right. So, obviously, it's, it's kind of hit its second win. So, I think it'll continue to do pretty well. A lot of it just depends on how they continue to release extra content. Um, if they continue to make it more beneficial for you to be a subscriber, then I think they'll continue to have subscribers. If they continue to do this stuff where everything is kind of a little extra, I think eventually you'll start to see subscribers drop off, especially when they realize, like, I can go onto the trade network and buy everything it is that I have right now and not have to pay a monthly fee. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. But I think it, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I think it's, it's really hit its second wind, and it's going to continue to do really well, not to mention... I mean, the free-to-play seems to be a big thing. We just heard recently that Rift now is going free-to-play. So obviously a lot of game companies and a lot of these MMO uh, makers are, are realizing that free-to-play is kind of the route that we're taking. So Unless you're wild. Unless you're wild. Unless you're wild. And don't have to. They, they need to lose like another 8 million subscribers, I think, to where they'll start really thinking about going free-to-play. Yeah, they definitely have sort of drawn their line in the sand and don't seem to have any interest in entertaining the idea of backing away from you it. You can play to 23, you know. That's all you can. Yeah, that's true. I guess you can you can get a taste. Isn't that how all that's, good that's, drug dealers? Yeah, work? I was gonna say that's how they get you. <laughs> oh. like, that's funny. Yeah, I, I I was just hearing a, a developer in an interview yesterday talking about some game. I don't even remember what game it was, but they were um, talking about how you know they were looking at different uh, pay models and they were talking about the way that their microtransactions work and just wasn't quite planning out. So after a lot of planning and a lot of discussion, they settled on a model whereby uh, you would pay a fee up front for the game. And then you would just be able to play it. And I think it's weird that now the way games have always been is just like an option that needs to be considered. Like yeah. the idea that like we've, we've come up with this model where you pay money up front. Now hear me out. You pay for the game and then you can play it all you want. And that's like a selling point now. Like that's just that's. But it's a different it's a different environment time. though. It's yeah. a different because time. They have to, they're constantly having people they have to pay. To maintain these servers and, and you to have keep to add right. content to yeah, it, or right? To keep it. So it's not quite the same market. Is why I, I get your point. Yeah. That it's interesting that it's like, yeah. When you put it like that, it, yeah, it sounds weird. But, but when you really think about what goes into it, yeah, it doesn't. It kind of makes a little. Right. I mean, if you look at games now with DLC, you know, you you actually don't do that. If you want to keep playing and getting more game, you keep paying money, right? You know, so that's kind of. We're, those games are actually kind of moving away from that model. Right? And, Where and it's everybody like, buy the game, and if you really like it, we're going to put out a bunch more stuff. And you can pay for basically two games worth of stuff. But we're going to give you, you know, all this crap, and you can just keep playing the game. Yeah, but you got to look at things, season so. passes. You know, that's, right. that's, that's in a way that's now. almost like a subscription. You're subscribing to the rest of the stuff that's going to come out for this game. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking about too. Where it's 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 like it's like pre-order taken to the extreme because now you're a pre-order is always you know you're putting down. Yeah, I don't know if you can pre-order things without money, maybe through other companies, but like most people put down a couple dollars at least, and you're already putting some kind of an investment, but it's not so much, you're not paying for the whole game up front, and you know, you're usually only going to pre-order something that you've at least experienced through a demo, or it's from a studio you know, or something that everybody in the world's talking about, I mean, you, you want to be selective about that kind of thing, but yeah. but yeah, if you look at, you know, as much as we might complain about how expensive games are, and how $60 for a game is a lot, I mean... You can look at it a bunch of different ways. You can look at it from the you know amount of time I get enjoyment out of it versus how much I paid. Then that always seems like a good deal if it's a good game. If you look at the big games that we've played over the last couple of years, I mean, you know, with DLC and with season passes and with microtransactions for multiplayer, I mean, Borderlands and two and Mass Effect three are essentially hundred dollar games that we bought. I mean, yeah. maybe not all at the same time, but maybe kind of. But and was it worth it for the amount of time put in? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to divide that out over the months or something like that, it, it definitely makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it, it'll be cool. So the, now I get to let Mike play Wishlist with Bioware, which is like the oh, perfect geez. person for this. Do we so, have that much time? I... Well, and this is a very focused question. Okay. So news just recently came out that EA is now going to be the exclusive publisher of Star Wars titles going forward. Uh -huh. They've got the rights to that. And one of the big things that a lot of people are asking for is... Knights of the Old Republic 3, KOTOR 3. We oh, want KOTOR 3. I never 3. even really thought about it. Now, if they made KOTOR 3, the thinking is that 
Bioware would probably act as the developer because Bioware is under the EAA blanket. That makes a lot of sense. So what of the MMO that you've got, what would you like to see in a single-player big RPG experience in a Bioware Star Wars game? Oh. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, it would be interesting to, with the fact that with pretty much all of the, the, the Knights of the Old Republic, you know, whatever character you make, you had the option of making a character that used, like, blasters and stuff like that. But nobody ever did, because everybody wanted to be the Jedi or the Force user. So it would be interesting to see if they could make a game where, like, in the Old Republic, you, know, you can play as a bounty hunter, smuggler, whatever, somebody who primarily uses blasters and things. Make a game where it, it might be worthwhile to pick something over a Force user. Because, of course, even playing the, Night, or the Old Republic online, there's lots of people playing the Force users. Everybody wants to be Jedi, Sith, all that kind of stuff. Um, you don't run into as many bounty hunters or smugglers or or, or the troopers or anything like that. So it'd be interesting to see if they come out with a game that was Knights of the Republic where you actually wanted to play as something like that. Or, or you could, you know, you had different maybe paths. Like one would be a Jedi, one would be a smuggler path. I don't know, maybe something like that. Yeah, and I haven't really even stopped, thought about it because I, I, all the other games, you know, I, I want to see the Star Wars thirteen thirteen looks awesome. Hopefully, somebody will still do that. And of course, I would love to see them do a Battlefront three, but I never even thought of Knights of the Republic because I guess we kind of have that with the old Republic. Right, and that's what they always said. This is this is Kotor three through seven was the quote that they kept saying. This <laughs> is that's how amazing and big this is going to be. So it'll be interesting. And Jared and I will continue to sit on the sidelines with our machines that. Aren't strong enough Can't to play, play through it. My computer. <laughs> handle all the computer game reviews. Yeah. I guess. That's right. Mike will take care of the PC for now. Well, um, speaking of reviews and switching gears a little bit uh, to something that was very different, I I downloaded on a whim uh, Guacamelee, a game <laughs> exclusive to the PlayStation Network. Uh, which have you guys heard much about this game before it came out? No, only from you. I had heard the name and just thought it was an amazing name. I thought oh, yeah, that this right. is one of those great <laughs> ideas. It's like. Let me pitch this idea. Snakes on a plane. It writes itself. It's that kind of thing. Like, guacamole. What a great word. So, so basically, here's my sales pitch for this game. Do you like Super Metroid? Yes. Do you like Symphony of the Night? Of course. Do you like awesome art styles that are really cool? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what this game is. I mean, um, this is a $15 game from a game uh, from a studio called Drinkbox Studios, and uh, you remember a couple years ago we had a lot of fun with Shadow Complex. Is that who made this? Xbox Live. No, it's not Chair, oh. but it's a very similar game. And and when that game came out, Jared's having a heart attack right now. I want right Shadow now. Complex 2 so bad. <laughs> but the, what was great about that game was it was a game that, that wore on its sleeve its absolute love of the quote-unquote Metroidvania formula for games, which is basically exactly that. It follows the Symphony of the Night Super Metroid formula of a big, open, nonlinear world where you know access to new areas is gated until you have specific upgrades and power-ups, and it's like Arkham Asylum. I mean, you know, lots of games mm-hmm. use this now, but those those were sort of the originals that did it really, really well. That game was obsessed with those games and showed it. This game is very, very similar. So the the basic conceit of this game is that you play this agave farmer in Mexico named Juan, just sort of a poor Mexican farmer whose girlfriend gets stolen by this like dead cowboy luchador from hell thing. I don't know. It's a ridiculous story. But your job is basically to, you know, to rescue a princess. It's essentially what it is. There's there's no big conceit. And the idea is that you take on the persona of this luchador, this Mexican wrestler, who gets to act as the superhero in the game. And and just like those games I mentioned, you know, the game is basically running around looking for upgrades, which give you access to new areas. So you're kind of, you know, there's the, the the president's daughter is the woman that you're pursuing. So there's El Presidente's mansion, and then there's your little town that you're from, and then there's the mountains, and then there's the forest. And it, it's very much, it's very video gamey in that way. It's a two-dimensional game. Um, Shadow Complex was sort of a 2.5D yeah. thing where it ran on a 2D plane, but there were 3D character models. This is very 2D. It's an extremely graphic uh, cartoon style. If anybody remembers watching uh, Samurai Jack, uh, or even Powerpuff Girls, uh, Gendy Tartofsky was the artist for those games. It looks very much like that. Super stylized, really flashy, very, very bright primary colors. Um, but it's really fun. It wears its influences, again, very, very close on its sleeve. You get the power-ups through these little 
Chuzu statues, statues, which are like the Chozo statues from Metroid. They look exactly the same. It's a little alien with a ball in its hands, and you, <laughs> you, you, you break it to get the little thing coming out. You have a mentor who comes out and yells at you for breaking his statues every time it happens. And the game is really funny. Tons of side quests. Um, the upgrades become, you know, and it's standard upgrade stuff too. Now you have a double jump. Now you have missiles. Now you have a triple jump. Now you, I mean, it just it, it follows that formula so closely. But um, it was just a ton of fun. The music is incredible. All original music. Um, the enemy types are are varied. Um, I just want to put a warning out there for anybody who's playing this game. There's this area that you run into in the basement of one of the buildings, and it's there's chickens everywhere in this game. And this area is called La Caverna del Pollo. The Cavern of Chickens. And it's basically, you go in and there's an NPC standing there saying, just to let you know, only the best warriors can hang here. So just to give you a heads up. And it's basically just, it's a training area. And it handed me my rear end so many times. And it was just this, like, arena of punishment. But the cool part was that the game actually has a pretty dynamic combat system which you wouldn't think a 2D side-scrolling game could have. It's sort of a combination of a beat-em-up like Streets of Rage or Final Fight with um, some of the dynamics of like the Arkham games, if you can imagine that. So you, you're a luchador, so you have these ridiculous kind of wrestling moves, but as you're sort of beating these characters in different ways, and again, you, you get upgrades as far as your uppercuts and your juggles and things like that, there will be key prompts. It's not really like a quick time event, but there's kind of like whenever triangle shows up, that allows you to grab the character in midair and pitch him in any number of directions. So you can kind of throw him into all the other bad guys as, a, you know, like a bowling ball and sort of take them all down. So the action gets really super frantic, um, but it's really fun. And it wasn't until I dove into that stupid arena that stole many hours of my life that I kind of really learned the combat system which then ended up making the game way more fun. And I think that's one of the cool things about games in general now is that most games are kind of deep enough that you can kind of muscle your way through them and just you know get to the end. But there's always that extra layer that's underneath it if you want to take the time to learn it. I mean, most RPGs are that way. I mean, the criticism of that genre is that it's press X to win. And on a lot of games, that's all it is. Just keep spamming attack until the guy dies and then you keep going. But I mean, there's... There's stuff underneath that that you can do with your weapons and your magic and your healers and your. I mean, so but you got to learn that stuff. And every game has its own system. So there's actually a little bit of a system underneath here. But I mean, I think the game is supposed to last between six and eight hours. I think it took me eleven to play through it because I was terrible at that part, and um, and because I was really trying to search out all of the hidden items and things like that. So super, super, super fun. I definitely recommend it for anybody who is a fan of Super Metroid. Shadow Complex, Symphony of the Night, it's definitely deeper than Super Metroid, not as deep as Shadow uh, Symphony of the Night, so a nice little happy medium, but as far as I'm concerned, $15, very well spent on the PlayStation Network. Well, that's good, because I remember they made that new Castlevania game a couple years back that was on PlayStation Network, and it was really disappointing. Harmony of, of Despair, Dis oh, that's I right. yeah, so yay, I want to check that out. We like it. We like it. So, yeah. Hooray for downloadable games. And then the, there's a new Arkham game coming out for Vita and 3DS. Did you guys read about that? Game Informer had an article. You know, Arkham Origins is the new big Arkham game that's coming out for consoles. But then there's also going to be a 2D, well, 2.5D, like Shadow Complex, right. Batman game. Called, I forget what it's called. Arkham Origins Blackgate, I think. And, um, oh, yes, I did hear about that. Which I, I think what I've seen is from the Vita version, but it's it's a Metroidvania game. It's a... You know, it's a 2D scroll. I'm excited. Like, it's like, okay, Super Metroid with Batman in it. Like, ah, ah. like it sounds really cool. So, I love those games, and uh, and we're definitely gonna keep an eye on that one. Keep you posted. So, um, all right. So we are just about to our final topic here, and Jared's got something to say. I want to sneak in before uh, we get to spoiler stuff, which we're gonna get to shortly. Ah. Um, last episode, last episode of me, I talked about um, natural selection two. And um, I looked some more stuff up on it since it was pretty vague. It is, it's out actually, so check it out if you want to. It's on Steam. It's like twenty five bucks. So uh, I don't, I don't know how good it is. The first one was great, but I just want to make sure that I amended that because last time I was talking about, I didn't think it was out yet, and it is. 
So, uh, yeah, if it's any good, you know what? Um, yeah, again, my computer's terrible. I can't play it. But um, <laughs> if it's any good, you know, hit us up on Facebook and let us know. I'd love to know more about it. But uh, the first one was great. So if you want to check it out, just want to give a quick update on it. Do you know if you can get a demo with that? I didn't see one. Hmm. But I didn't look too far because I knew I couldn't play it. Right. I could check it out and see if I could Well, and, and after you talked about it, I definitely looked up some videos. And it, it's, a, it's a really good-looking game. I mean, it looks really interesting. Yeah, it looks so. nice. So yeah. for all you disappointed Colonial means fan, Marines fans, which is all of you, I think. Everyone in the world. It should be everybody. Yeah. Shame on you. There's if you probably some guy out there who's like, I thought Colonial Marines was great. Yeah. <laughs> the same people who hook battery, car batteries up to weird body parts of theirs yeah, and enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So good. Good recommendation. So natural selection too. Oh, no. Another argument. <laughs> so, um, so yes, as Jared said, uh, we are now stepping behind the spoiler gate. Uh, to have our discussion of uh, Bioshock Infinite. So um, Jared and I haven't had a, a chance to talk about this much at all. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, and Jared, you tell me, uh, nothing is off limits in this discussion. We can no, talk about I wanna, everything. I want to go for it. Yeah, Mike has given us permission to right, talk about anything and everything we want. Because I think the reason is you, you either you either nothing's off limits or you can't talk about it at anything, all. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we got to go for it. So, spoiler alert. We said it a lot. But it's at this point, if you listen and you didn't want to hear him, too bad, your own fault. Yeah, we appreciate you tuning in, but it might be best for you just to go ahead and uh, just That's right. you know, we'll listen to a different episode. So have a good evening and uh, enjoy episode 10 when it comes out. And spoilers. All right. So, okay. <laughs> so where we left this game before in our uh, previous episode was just a basic discussion of uh, the mechanics of it, you know, what the conceit of the game was. I was like four or five hours into it, and we just mm -hmm. basically said, yeah, it's like a Bioshock game, and here are the things that are different. So at this point, so Jared, tell me where you're at with the game. Oh, I finished it. So you're you're done. Yes, I'm all the way through. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you now. So when you, and you played the game on normal difficulty, right? Played on normal. I did. I started very briefly. Started to play through on 1999 mode. It's going to be pretty hard. I can tell already. Uh, but I'll probably try and get through that at some point. Right. But so I did play through it on normal, which I thought the difficulty on normal was perfect for what it describes. You know, I found it to be challenging, but not terribly. Terribly too difficult. Right. So, and then I think that was just about where I was to beat the game, play through it on normal, um, and I'm, I'm two, maybe three hours into the 1999 mode, which if you're not familiar with that mode is the harder version of hard mode that um, is available to you after you play through the game the first time, where uh, the, the basic idea is that you have to focus on specialization. You have to make decisions about weapons and powers that are irreversible decisions, um, there are certain um, like autosave features and stuff that aren't in the game that are in the normal game. You really have to be careful about what you spend your money on, and you know that right. that kind of thing. It's a very much slower, more methodical way to play through it. So we'll keep you updated on on where we might get with that, or if that just falls by the wayside. But um, so how do you want to tackle this? Well, okay, <laughs> we the game's great, and I think we talked about it a bit. So I don't think we need to talk about that. So I think basically what we need to talk about is the story because this is. This game is not only incredibly story-driven, but the story is so convoluted and complex that many people disagree about what's happening in the game. Right. So, um, I guess we just talk about what we think is happening. So, I'll just go. Is that cool? Yeah. I'll just, so, here's, here's what I think. is To me, there are actually two stories in this game. The actual story, which they barely touch on at all, which I think is this. Booker DeWitt, your main character, is a crazy person. Okay. When he got in trouble, so some of the things that you find out in the story were true. He was like a hero of a war against Native Americans, and that kind of drove him, it seems like, into the bottle or something a little bit, and into gambling. And he got into some trouble and right. basically ended up selling his daughter. He right. regrets this very greatly, and it drives him kind of mad. Right. There are two characters that you meet in the beginning of the game who keep showing up over and over again. Um, and I can't remember their names right now. Lutess. The Lutess. Yeah, Lutess. And I don't know if they ever... They give you their first names at some point. And they're brother and sister. And these people... Um, the, one of the first things they say is, I don't know... When the, the sister says to the brother is, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this thought experiment. They say it to you while you're going up to the dock to the go to the lighthouse. first three minutes of the game. It's right away they throw that at you. And there's another point later where you find out you've been sitting in this room for like 20 years. There's a point where you kind of seem to come into the real world and see them talking about how you're finally forming your memories 
So, okay, so this is what I think has really happened. It's like, that's what, you you lost your, the main character lost his mind because he sold his daughter, and, like, he, he couldn't deal with it. And these people are kind of trying to help him. And the way they tried to help him is by going through this experiment that helped him rebuild his actual memories by going through a fantasy world to understand what happened. Because when he meets the main, the, the, the girl who's the main character, that's actually his daughter, and he does not know that. So this is what I think is going on. So then there's this other story where it turns out, like, in that story, you're going to try and save your... You don't know your daughter at the time. This woman from you've been passed from saving. To save, right, from... You don't know who. You right. just know that you have been. From this man named Comstock, who is basically is the one who built the city in the sky, and he's kind of their, like, prophet. He can kind of see the future a little bit, it seems like. He foretells a lot of things, and he's locked her up in this room to use her for some purpose that you don't know. And you go through this long process of trying to save her and, and learning about Comstock, and in the long run, you actually find out that, according to the storyline, because the, main, the, the the girl, who's your daughter, can actually tear open... This is so complicated. <laughs> she can actually tear open holes through time and space right. and get to different universes. And basically, so that's why you're... Comstock is actually your character from a different universe where he uh, went through a baptism and became a new man. And this man is very different from the character that you are, obviously. And I think the reference of that is that you are your own demon. You are actually the one that caused all these problems. That's why I think there's someone that, that in his crazy dream or whatever he's having is his, is his nemesis is actually him. Because he is actually the one that caused all these things in his life. So, whew. That is, that is what I think is happening in the game. That's a sh much shorter version of the in-game plot, but um, that is what I think is happening in general. Okay, throw back at me what you think about that, Chris. I'm ready, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for you to lob this back at me. So it's, you know, these, these mysteries come up in the game, and you're kind of trying to unravel them, and some of them seem quite sensible, and others don't. So through the course of the game, like, you find out through these audio logs, these voxophones, they call them in the game, that um, the, the main, the bad guy, the antagonist of the game, Comstock, you, who's this prophet to this world in the sky, Columbia, you find out because of these experiments and things that he's been a part of that he's infertile and he's right. not able to have an heir to this empire he's created. So that's where this mysterious, you know, daughter who, you know, there's there's references throughout the game of how his wife was only pregnant for seven days. Yeah. yeah, and then the, the, the miracle child was born. Right. Well, we find this out because the baby was actually stolen from another universe and... You know, so and then he kills his wife because she knows. Yeah, she just blames it on someone else who becomes this like terrorist. Right, can't live with uh. herself. So that's you know we're learning a little bit about the backstory of Elizabeth that she's not actually his daughter, but she really kind of is. It's if you think daughter. okay, but anyhow, so uh, and then the other sort of weird mystery of the game are these tears, these holes that keep opening up to other realities. Now this this finally solves the mystery of why we're getting the weird. Uh, for us, modern music set in this world in the in the 1910s and the 1920s, because the idea is being that these tears have been opened up that go to eras like the 1970s and the 1980s, right. and one of the musicians in the world of Columbia, who's actually what is he's like the brother of the main arms dealer or something? Yeah. Did you find his house at the end of the game where he's got the piano? Yeah. And the, yeah. So basically, he's been listening to music from other time periods and stealing it and adapting it. To, and saying he wrote it, so that's why you're hearing like Beach Boys songs and Tears for Fears songs in the 1912s. It's because these holes have been opened up to other eras, and he's been stealing the music he hears. So I just thought that was like a fun little detail. But um, and then there's one of the things that's unfortunate is they do such a great job of leading up to this like crazy climax of this game, and it is a crazy climax. But a lot of the really important details of the story are still hidden in these audio logs right. that you can and can't, you might not find. Right, and they're really important to understanding the story to me. Like, the thing about him being sterile is in a box of phone. That's in a box of phone. you miss that, right. you won't know for sure that Elizabeth can't be his daughter. As, as far as I know, there were two or three that I missed, because I think there's like 75 or 77 uh, in the I game, and I didn't get them all. Did you did you happen to find the one? Because this is a huge one that I missed that I heard somebody else talking about. The one that explained what the relationship between the Lutess siblings is, like what they really are. Uh, well, from what I what I get, I I guess is actually they're basically the same person yeah. from a different universe. So, That's and exactly they actually found a way to communicate to each other through um, 
these universes. And it started out really simply, where like they could basically like use Morse code with each other. Yeah. And they could use that in this tiny way to, because they could make something happen in the other universe. So in this tiny clip, and they use that to start communicating. Until eventually, they are actually the ones that generated the technology with Comstock to create those tears. Yeah, right. And, and, and I never was clear why Elizabeth could do it, why she could do it. Right. I don't know if it had something to do with something they've done to her. I don't really understand. But I know that they created the technology to do that themselves. I think that was the idea. I think she was this... I, if, I think the idea is that she was kind of raised like Jack from Mass Effect. Like, she's this child that from birth has been essentially in training to harness this power that these people have come up with. Again, that's not really made explicit, I don't think, but that's what we kind of have to assume because in some ways she can do similar things, but then on another level she basically becomes a god by the end of the game and can do things that nobody could have imagined. And, um, yeah, so... Interesting to note, too, in the storyline, she's actually been isolated from people her entire life. Right. They've locked her in this tower, and everyone who lives in in the world there... In, in the sky, they all know who she is. She's, they call her the Lamb, but she's important, and they, they know that she's going to lead them forward. Comstock's like, "I'm going to die. I can't lead you. She's the one." And uh, yeah, so that this is that's that's very good depth for Elizabeth's character because actually this whole being trapped and everything has kind of defined her. Right. So yeah, and then and then one of the clues we kind of get along the way is, is as these tears are opening up because not only are you seeing them, but eventually you have to start going through them, through them yeah. and you end up spending a lot of time in a in a world where sort of the the rebellion of this world the vox populi where in this you go into this alternate universe where you're not working for these people to try to rescue this girl you're actually like the hero of the revolution and you've been killed but did you find the vox phone in there where you find out that you're still just helping them to get the girl right yeah, yeah. it's so amazing. That's, that's always the most important thing in this story yeah it's trying to rescue this girl and anytime you spend a significant amount of time kind of out of your natural element, it, that that's kind of made clear through these nosebleeds the characters keep getting. So you you'll get these nosebleeds when you're in different parts of the game, and it's like, well, Booker, look what's going on I'm with you. I'm pretty sure a nosebleed is a reference to that in, in that universe you're dead. Right, and you have uh, yeah, there's uh, NPCs that come back as sort of ghosts. Right. When they're you when they're, they're dead in one world, but they're not in others, and they don't um, understand how to deal with that. Like it messes with their brain. Right, Chen Lin, the arms dealer that you find, is alive in one world, but kind of weirdly, yeah, you're this weird sort of shell. You're not really a real person. And there's reference in the Voxophones to the, the two siblings when they're communicating with each other. You know, she says, "I tried bringing my brother over to be with me, but he kept getting these nosebleeds, and he couldn't. He didn't know who he was or where he was. So we continue to have to exist in our own worlds." And um, so, so the the big wrap up for everything is essentially the idea that, like Jared said, your character is also the main bad guy of the story. Just split into two separate timelines, where when you were in this war, where you were this war hero during you know the war with the Native Americans at Wounded Knee, you know yeah. you did horrible, horrible things. You did horrible things and that we're you regret. A hero for it, and you were made a hero. You kind of couldn't live with that, so you got to a point where you were in a river with a bunch of other people and there was a minister who wanted to baptize you and wash you away of all your sins and make you a new person, which is what baptism does, right? And the story splits where if you became a new person, you became Zachary Comstock, this new person, where if you rejected it, you stayed Booker DeWitt, and that's kind of the character that we stayed with through our playthrough of this actual game. So that's where everything kind of comes full circle, well, everything's messed up because there's all these alternate universes and people are jumping through and things are working and the, the universe is breaking down. And so what it comes down to, the only way this can resolve itself is if this loop never began in the first place. And the only way you can ever prevent the bad guy from happening is if you can prevent the good guy from becoming the bad guy. And the only way you can make that happen is if you don't survive. Right. right. Which is interesting because you actually realize you have to well, I had realized you were Comstock before that, but the main character realizes he has to kill Comstock before any of this happens. And it's not only until after that moment, when he's committed to doing that, that he finds out it's himself. Right. And then basically lets Elizabeth drown him. Well, and that's, yeah, it gets to a point where he, he's, he, yeah, like, well, we've got to kill Comstock. And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? And that's what the Lutess, the male Lutess, that's what he says. He's like, how how would you know how far to go back? And he's like, I'm going to go back and kill him so in his crib. Yeah. 
I'm going to kill him as a baby. And he's like, you don't know what that's going to do. You don't know how far back to go because they know that, you know, that's not how it works. This is not, you can't go back and do that because you're part of this timeline. And, and there's this great image at the end of the game where, you know, you're in these multiple universes, which I got my ultimate fanboy dream oh, of yes. this game, where at the very end of the game, you jump into the city of Rapture, Rapture. from the original Bioshock game. And I just about cried. I was so happy <laughs> because I there was always this, like, question of, you know, do these games tie in in any way? Is there any relationship here? And there is. And the basic idea is that, it you know, there's a multiverse. Any eventuality you can imagine exists. There is a universe where everything happened. There's a million, million universes. And the only thing that holds them together is there's always a, what is she? There's always a man. There's always a, there's man, always a city. There's always a city. And there's always with the other. There's always an idea or something like that. yeah. And there's always a man. There's always a city. And um and oh, there's always a lighthouse. There's always a man. Oh, there's, there's always, always a lighthouse. A That's right. Because it turns out these lighthouses, which you mentioned, are at the beginning of both um, games. Yeah. Both. I, I like the word discounting too. It doesn't count. It doesn't. Um, how they're being in both, and they're actually those are in this in this realm. They're actually they're they're portals. Like you you do you can go through these lighthouses to get to different universes. So yeah. They, they're very. It turns out it's very important. Yeah, and it's this super cool scene where you keep coming going through doorways and you keep seeing other versions of you and Elizabeth. You know, going into other. It, it's it's really really amazingly well done, and it's this cool combination of in-game cinematics. But also like real time gameplay, like you're still right. controlling the character, so it doesn't feel like you're watching a movie like Metal Gear. But um, yeah, and then the final sort of image of the game is being drowned by these multiple versions of Elizabeth, Elizabeth from different universes, holding you underwater, which is really cool because if you played through the first Bioshock game, the Paragon way by saving all the little sisters instead of by killing them and harvesting the atom that they had. Mm -hmm. The final image you see in the game are the little sisters grown up around your deathbed, essentially, sort of all looking down on you, holding your hand, and it's like the exact same image. It's all these, like, 20 to 30-year-old women looking down on you as you die, which die, is basically yeah. the way both games ended. And then, in true Lord of the Rings fashion, there's, like, seven more endings after that that involve, like, <laughs> video of the actors involved, and then there's a weird little coda at the end about hearing the baby cry, even though the baby shouldn't exist. So there's definitely a little messing with your headness, but um, yeah, I mean, what general thoughts, I guess, about the overall experience? I mean, we're still trying to sort of piece out what exactly happened. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know that they gave you all of it. I mean, I think they left a little bit of this little open to get this response they've gotten, which is, you know, I mean... There's a lot of discussion on these kinds of things, and like theory, like almost to the point of conspiracy theory of like what's actually happening in this game. And I think that was part of the brilliance was they, you know, if you can make something that they're gonna, people are gonna have a conversation about like this, that gives your game, you know, so much life for not just right now, not just to drive sales, but you know, it makes it one of these games that like transcends. I guess. And I think this is one of those games. Because it, it hit on all fronts to me, too. Like, I mean, we're talking a lot about this story, but the gameplay was also quite phenomenal. The, the voice acting was fantastic. The, you know, the, the, the visuals were very stylized and, and very beautiful. I mean, I know you, you spent a lot of time just walking around oh, yeah. looking at stuff. I definitely did that, you know, especially in the beginning when you, you haven't been vilified yet. You know, mm -hmm. There's this part where you just kind of, you didn't have weapons. Like, the first... A couple hours of the game, you can just wander around and look at this universe. And it's so well crafted, you want to, you know, you want to do that. So this this game to me is just above and beyond. You know, like it was it was such a fantastic experience all around that I really enjoyed it. Well, uh, one thing though that I thought was a little weird about it was um, the character of Elizabeth is really hot, <laughs> and um, you know, so which is fine. You know, they make female characters hot, and that's cool. But I, you kind of get the impression as you're going along that this is almost like your love interest. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little weird to find out that that's your daughter is playing the love interest of the main character. Uh, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, they don't ever make it that way. You never do anything romantically. So maybe I was reading into it. Maybe that was my own thing. You know, maybe he just wants to care for her, and that's very appropriate. But um, I just thought that was weird. No, and it's true. And I think part of the fact is since it's a first-person game, you don't spend a lot – you see yourself in several instances – 
since you're just seeing her, I think you lose sight. And, and maybe it's not until you learn more at the end of the game that you are a fair amount older than her. So, yeah, I mean, it, but there are definitely, I mean, when the, when you're, you're two things you're dealing with are a man and a woman, I mean, that's at least part of your mind is going to be wondering, like, well, what's going to kind of happen Especially here? with how much he changes his opinion towards her. Because when he arrives, he's like, I got a job, I get this girl, I get my debt paid off, great. Right. And by the end, you know, he's just like, listen, I'll do what I have to do to take care of you. Right. So, I mean, this relationship definitely builds, and he grows to care for her. That's not in doubt, but but that is, I think, why that drives that idea. Right. And, you know, thank heavens for Irrational Games for having the sense to make a game that involves having a companion with you that is not an escort mission. I mean, the fact that yes. you never once have to think about her in, in battle. Ever. She throws you money. She throws you help. Ammo. She throws you ammo. She throws you mana, essentially. Salts. Um, so it's awesome. She's fantastic. And, and she's she, just a great thing to have there. She never got in the way. There was never a point when I was, right. like, trying to walk through a doorway and she was just, like, kind of standing there. And I was like... Trying to figure out how to manipulate myself so that they'll move around. You know, you right. had that with companion characters where you're like, okay, maybe if I walk ten steps away, they'll follow me, and then I can run back through the doorway and get through. Because for no reason, they're just standing in my way. That never happened. She was always out of the way. Um, right. Only helpful. Only ever helpful. And I like that they set you up for that because basically, like the first time you get into a fight with her, she goes, "I'm fine. Yeah. Don't worry about me." Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, there's even an on-screen prompt. Elizabeth can take Elizabeth care of herself in battle. Herself. Like, like, don't, don't waste worry your about time. It. Don't do that. And I think that's great, because I think people were a little worried about that when they saw that. They're like, oh, great, it's constantly going to be defending this girl. But you don't have to worry. She doesn't even have a health meter. She's right. invincible, which is great. But it's nice, because I, it, it's really cool to get to experience a game that, you know, not everybody's going to like it the same way, but it, it's a game that gets to be in that rare category where it's like Half-Life 2, it's like Super Metroid, it's like... Shadow of the Colossus, like, these are games that we, it's like the first Bioshock, these were games that we will talk about that are always part of the canon of, like, big moments in gaming, the Mass right. Effect trilogy, I mean, these are, mm -hmm. these are not in dispute that these are important that way, and, and another thing, too, is the way that the story kind of wraps up, I don't know that this game doesn't basically kill the Bioshock franchise, I mean, you look at it two ways, you can, now that it's no, infinite, it, it, it could be anything, right. or it can, you know, why do anything, because now we've done everything. In the the, game, the so. only thing it limits it to is that there has to be a man in a city. Right. That's that's a formula you kind of wanted anyway within here. So, But I, I, I get your point, though. Like, to top this would be such a feat that there could be wisdom in just being like, all right, we did our thing, and we're done, you know, and let it go, but... I, I don't see that happening. I think they'll do something else. I think they'd be wise to make it be as long from now as it was for Bioshock. Give it, give it some time. Let give it, it really some simmer, and then make it a point where people are like, oh, oh, are you kidding me? A new Bioshock game, like you know, sometime late in the next console generation or something, and, and then do something that, you know, that level again. But definitely don't try and crank another game out or anything like that. Well, I wonder about the DLC though. I don't understand what they're gonna do with DLC. There was a season pass. I didn't get it. No, because I don't yet. really know where, where. Where do you go? What do yeah, you do? I don't know. If, yeah, because it's it's one of those things. It's like playing story missions of Mass Effect Three after the trilogy is wrapped up. It's kind of uh, like, okay. but it's over. Right. I ended it, and I feel like that's what's gonna happen in yeah. this. It's like it'll have to go in the timeline and kind of be like, this was a side thing you did and you didn't... Remember. Or it somehow involves other characters, but they could, nobody else is important enough. I don't know. So yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. And yeah, whether so it's something people care about or interested in, but... I don't know. I mean, the way people love this game, I feel like it'll sell, but I don't know that even with my level of, like, how much I just adored this game, that I, I'll have to see what it is. Maybe, yeah. maybe something will grab me, but as of right now, I just can't understand what they could do. And as long as it's and not it's a new character that they make us pay uh, ten dollars for, yeah. Maybe okay. it's a multiplayer thing, like they did with Bioshock Two. They could do something like that. I don't know that I really even want it. Yeah, I'm a Bioshock Two apologist. I love that game, and that multiplayer was terrible. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. But so we'll have to see. This, so. this is the one last thing I want to ask you about because um, I was taught. This is one thing I talked to one of my friends, Crystal, about because she's played the game too. Is which game is better, Bioshock? Or Bioshock Infinite, or or do you, which game do you like more, or whatever? Not to be better, but like, what do you think about that? I, I have a strong yeah. opinion about this. I I think for for me, as I thought a lot a little bit about this, I think they're both fantastic games that do sure. stand on their own right. I think the first one still holds the superior spot in my mind. 
just because I guess partially because it did it first, but I also there's something about like the creepiness of that aesthetic that just appealed to me more. Mm-hmm. If you want to look at the parallels, I like the Big Daddy as a character better than the Songbird as a character. I mean, they're not the same thing, but um and and the way that the ending of that original game revealed itself was kind of like brain explodey kind of well, which the other game was too. But I think for me, the first one, but if I were to go back now and play them both next to each other, that might affect that. Because the second game, Beth, uh, Bioshock 2, definitely played better than Bioshock 1, and a lot of that carried over into Infinite. So I know just it's like playing Mass Effect 1 after everything that improved in 2 and 3. It's just rough. Like, it's just rough. Playing Gears after playing Gears 2 and 3, it's just a little rough. Yeah. So that might affect it, but I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you, which I think is really interesting, actually, because when I think about a lot of the games I love, like Gears and like Mass Effect, the second one is frequently my favorite game. Yeah. The second one is often very, very good, because it takes a great formula, and often makes it very, a lot better, you know, and especially in terms of gameplay and things like that. And then the third one often is good, but it's kind of like, well, we've been doing this for a long time. It's hard to capture as well. But for this, I think Bioshock, since it captured such a specific thing, um, it was such an iconic. I mean, this game is iconic as well, but having done it first, I think actually makes it much better. I feel the same way about Borderlands. You know, I think Borderlands Two is a better game than Borderlands, and I think Bioshock Infinite, in many ways, is a superior game than than Bioshock. Right. But because they were such a unique experience when they came out, and something that people weren't prepared to be experiencing in that way they hold a place that's very different for me. And for me, they, they actually stand, even as games that, I'm sure if I went back and played now, I'd see, be like, oh, wow, they're, you know, I'm noticing these things now that are better about the newer games. Right. I still think standalone as superior because of that. So I thought that was an interesting idea with that, though, because I think, I think that's probably the general consensus, and that's kind of amazing because Bioshock Infinite just blew me out of the water. Yeah. But so did Bioshock when it first when it first came out, you know. I agree with you about that thing, too. I think one thing about Bioshock is the containment. That claustrophobia, that claustrophobia of being under the that water. That you cannot yeah. escape, you know. You're really, you're really open, and in the skyways, you move a lot quicker, oh, you're yeah. a lot freer to escape, you know. Like, you know, if a big daddy came on you in Bioshock, you you got to fight it, or you got to run, you know, like, you yeah. know, if you end up getting to where you have There's to fight. There's choke points everywhere. Just, yeah. Right, yeah. It's not so easy to just run away. You know, I found that in this one, like, I'd start shooting people and be like, oh, Skyway, let's go over there. Yeah, and just jump on the roller coaster. And like, shoot a couple times. All right, jump on the roller coaster. And you just move around a lot. So the gameplay was different in that way, which is cool. You know, I'm glad they didn't make the same game. But that that feeling of, of like, you're trapped in this place. Like, right. You know, and, and it's it's degrading around you. And there was a little bit of the degradation in this one, too. But it was a little more in its heyday time. You know, there was some destruction, especially once you got into the populi really having success. The, the t- I guess you call them terrorists. They call themselves freedom fighters. Right. Most terrorists probably do. Way off topic. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that it started to get to be a little bit more of a destroyed world. Like, people were, everyone was, it kind of, the world wasn't terribly destroyed, just everyone was dead. Right. You know, and, and in, um, in the first Bioshock, everyone had been dead, it seemed like, for a long time. For a while, yeah. To the point where it really perverted this place even more, you know, yeah. like. That place had been destroyed a long time ago, and there were still people there, but it had been wrecked so long ago that it was just completely perverted what it was supposed to be. And when you're, as opposed to just an infinite, the place is just literally at the time on fire. Right. It's being destroyed. Right. So um, that feeling I like more, that like this was something amazing once, right. and it got destroyed, and what's left over has gotten so perverted that it's almost... On a, you're not almost seeing the same thing. You can see it there, but it's not there anymore. So I, and that, that's me, too. I like I liked the, the, the setting of that a little bit more. Yeah. Also, no one made me beat them to death with a golf club. So that's, yeah, and that's pretty gotta, special. That's yeah. just a special thing. It's a strangely special moment, isn't it? Isn't it it weird? is. Uh, <laughs> well, we would like to thank Mike for kindly letting Jared and us discuss was that, was this. We're going to wake him up now. I'd love to know yeah. what you thought. Was that so confusing it was unbearable? There was, like, yeah, I was like, wow. Did you get lost? I think I would have just ripped my hair out. This, okay, but this came at you over the course of like 16 hours, not like five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's like, so much. They start to they feed it to you at a very reasonable pace. They're not just like, all right, 
Here's some crazy stuff. Ready? Here we go. Well, that's kind of what we do. It would be like trying to sit down and explain, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths to somebody or something like that. Like, yeah, if you can follow no, comic books, like, then was, you can follow something like this. I was picking up little like things. Like, I was picking up stuff out of Fringe, like, with the kid being taken from the world. I was picking, you know, yeah. Oh, anything very much. Yeah, that's very similar. DC, where it's like, yeah, anything can happen. There's, like, millions Multiverses, of things. Multiverses. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my gosh, it's just so much. So, yeah, it's, but... This would ruin the game if you hadn't played it. That's why we did the spoilers. But if you had played it, I hope this was interesting <laughs> because there's a lot going on in there. And you know, also, again, I want to plug the Facebook. We really want to see more people on there. So if we want to hear your ideas on what the ending of this game was because there could clearly be stuff that we haven't seen yet. There's so much to this game. So um, come on and let us know. What did you, was, are we completely wrong or are there things we missed? Are there things you would expand on? We want to know what you think. Yeah. Because this this is a, a thing that people I think will be talking about for a while. Yeah, any and all opinions you guys want to share with us will be stuff we discuss in future episodes. So keep it spoiler light for other people who might see the, the tweets or the Facebook posts. But uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you guys thought about a game we thought was pretty exceptional. So on that note, we are going to wrap up Episode 9. Thank you again so much for listening. As we said, we're going to try to become increasingly active on the Facebook and the yeah. Twitter. So look for the used gamers at the used gamers on Twitter. Uh, and again, signing off, I'm Chris. I'm Jared. I'm Mike. We are the used gamers, and we will see you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. We're talking casual conversations about stuff.